And for that purpose, we'll also read what we confess in Lord's Day 26 of the Heidelberg Catechism. This is how the church summarizes the doctrine of baptism. And here we confess the following. How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you in this way? Christ instituted this outward washing, and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Whereas Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit, As surely as we are washed with the water of baptism, in the institution of baptism, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 19. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16, 16. This promise is repeated, where scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Congregation, after the sermon, we will voice our amen together, our amen to the proclamation of God's word by singing from Psalm 51, stanzas 3 and 4. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and that includes you, boys and girls, who are members of God's covenant and congregation, do you remember your baptism? Of course, most of us were baptized as infants, so we don't remember that. What what I really mean is, do you keep in mind that you are baptized? The word remember in scripture means more than just knowing that something happened. It also means keeping in mind. Is your baptism something that helps you from day to day? Does it encourage you in your Christian walk? Some historians tell us that Martin Luther inscribed the words, I have been baptized in his desk that he always worked at. Whenever he would feel overwhelmed by the intensity of spiritual warfare, he would look at those words inscribed on his desk and remind himself of his baptism. To remind himself of the promises that God had made to him in his baptism. And what he did, congregation, is what we need to do with our baptism. Because our baptism is meant to encourage us. In our daily walk with the Lord. We have been given this sacrament for the strengthening of our faith. And when we're faced with doubts and fears and the struggles of life. When we're 
sometimes overwhelmed by our own sinfulness, then baptism reminds us that our Heavenly Father has claimed us as His own. He has placed His triune name on us. And He has made a holy pledge to be our God and our Savior. And by His very own words, He binds Himself to His own promises. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? An incredible truth. Our God binds Himself to us by His own promise. He says, I am your Father for the sake of Christ. And we don't deserve that. We don't deserve God's grace. We don't deserve the forgiveness of sins. We don't deserve the indwelling of the Holy Spirit either. And yet this sacrament assures us that we receive these things. And so I proclaim to you the gospel of grace. Under this theme, baptism is a sign and seal of the promises of the gospel. We'll consider what baptism assures us of and how we ought to respond to our baptism, or to make it personal, what baptism assures me of, and how I am to respond. We confess in Lord's Day 26 that baptism is a sign and seal by which Christ assures us that he washes away the impurities of our soul. And this is a twofold washing. First, there is the washing with Christ's blood, and secondly, the washing with Christ's spirit. And we'll walk through both of these. Washing with Christ's blood speaks of the forgiveness of sins. When we are washed with the blood of Christ, then we are released from our sin debt that we owe God, because sin is an offense to God's honor, and with our sin we incur debt towards him. But when we've been washed with the blood of Christ, that blood covers this offense. It pays our debt. We are forgiven. We have peace with God. That is really at the very heart of the gospel. It means there is no longer any obstacle to having fellowship with God. He is our Father. We are His adopted children. We can live with Him in fellowship, in the covenant of grace. And this is the good news that is promised to us in our baptism. This is what is signified to us in the water of baptism. The water of baptism is is the picture of Christ's blood. Water cleanses the body from dirt. And that's why it's such a, a fitting symbol of the cleansing power of Christ's blood, which we confess washes away the impurities of our soul. The congregation, the water of baptism is more than a picture. We confess that it signifies and seals what it portrays. It signifies and seals the washing away of sins. A seal is a, is a guarantee. It means that it's genuine. So baptism is a seal from God himself which eliminates all doubt. It means you are washed. That's also what we confess. I am as certainly washed from all my sins as I am outwardly washed with water. We don't confess I will be washed or I might become washed, but I am washed from all my sins. This is not a promise for the future, but baptism establishes that the washing away of sins is something that has occurred. And what we confess in the catechism is found in Scripture. 
In the Old Testament, for example, in Leviticus 14 and 15, you can read about how cases of infectious diseases were dealt with. If a person was cured of such a disease, he or she had to be sprinkled with water seven times. The person also had to wash his clothes and bathe himself. And at the end of this process, he was declared clean. David, for example, understood the meaning of that when he said in Psalm 51, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And note how the actual washing is connected with the removal of sin. We find that same kind of sacramental language in the New Testament. We read in Corinthians um, 6, or Colossians 6, verse 11, where, where the apostle is writing to the church. He's admonishing them about their ungodly conduct, and he writes to them, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, he doesn't mention baptism directly in this passage, but this passage still underlines that the forgiveness of sins and the renewal of the Holy Spirit is described in terms of washing. Or think of what we read from Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Well, what this means for the believer is that the spiritual benefit of baptism is as sure as the outward washing with water. It's as sure and as real as the outward washing with water. The forgiveness of sins is real, not because you are sprinkled with water, but because the promises of God are connected to that sprinkling. And that's why we may confess and believe that the forgiveness of our sins is so certain. It is as certain as when I see with my eyes that the water of baptism is sprinkled on the forehead of a covenant child. And so as a baptized member of the covenant, you can never ask, you should never ask, am I really adopted by the Lord as a child of the Lord? That's no longer a question. And that's also the intent of our confession, that we are assured of forgiveness, just as sure as we see the water of baptism being sprinkled on someone. And now you might ask, well, isn't that an overstatement? Aren't we saying too much when we say that? Because it almost sounds as if we're saying that everyone who is baptized is automatically saved. Well, that's not what we're saying. We have to keep in mind that what we confess here, this is the confession of a believer. And that's important to keep in mind. This is the confession of the congregation of Christ. It's the confession of the saints. It is not the confession of someone who ignores his baptism, for example. But it's the confession of one who believes the promises that are attached to baptism. We still need to talk about the second aspect of the twofold washing, namely that we are washed with the Spirit of Christ. And that refers to our sanctification, the journey of becoming more and more Christ-like. 
in baptism, we're promised that God has established an eternal covenant of grace with us. He promises that he will continue to be with us. He's not going to leave us the way he found us. Instead, he's going to transform our heart and our life. Or to say it the way the catechism says it, God promises that we will more and more become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. And Paul speaks about that in Romans 6 as well. There we read something about our human responsibility and calling in view of God's salvation. But we also read something there about God's promise. Christians have been baptized into Christ's death. Our baptism reminds us of that reality. And God promises that if we believe, we are no longer enslaved to sin. So God's promise to believers is this. Sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. In other words, when you are a Christian, you don't have to sin anymore. You can say with the power of the Holy Spirit, through his power, you can say no to sin. God promises that you have been freed from the guilt of sin and that you are being set free, increasingly set free from the power of sin. As regenerated Christians, God promises you the washing of the Holy Spirit so that your life will begin to look different, that you will be transformed. I think we're sometimes inclined to forget that. Forgiveness, yes. That's wonderful. Who, After all, who, who doesn't want to be forgiven? We all want to be forgiven. To be acquitted of punishment, that's a gift that no one would refuse. That's pleasant and satisfying. But to be renewed, that's a different story, isn't it? Because renewal involves pain. It involves putting to death our old nature, to put to death the desires of our old nature. When we are baptized with water, that's not painful. But when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's painful. The fire of the Holy Spirit scorches our evil nature. It it awakens a fierce battle in us, that battle between the old and the new nature. And so that is clearly the, the work of Christ's Spirit. It's not our doing. And to be baptized then means that the Spirit renews me and sanctifies me to be a member of Christ. And so we can never say that we become holy by our own efforts. That's clearly reflected also in the first question asked of parents when they present their child for baptism. Do you confess that our children, though conceived and born in sin, are sanctified in Christ, and thus as members of his church ought to be baptized? And we shouldn't misunderstand that question because when we confess that our children are sanctified in Christ, it doesn't mean that we believe they are already believers, but it means that they are to be sanctified means to be set apart. Each child then is registered in the membership of the church and incorporated by baptism into Christ as a member of the church. And so it is not the case, boys and girls, that you only become a member of the church after you've made public profession of faith and are admitted to the Lord's Supper. Your baptism 
incorporates you into the church. You are a member of the church already if you're baptized at a week or two weeks old. And your baptism has meaning for you long before you are granted admission to the Lord's Supper. Because by having received baptism, you have already been made holy. The catechism students know what that word means. It means to be separated. God has chosen you, pulled you out of the world, out of the kingdom of darkness, and said, you are now in the kingdom of light. You belong to me. He has marked you as separated out of the world and into the church, or to put it as Lord's Day 27 says it, you are thereby distinguished from children of unbelievers. You are holy, sanctified in Christ. And Paul writes in Romans 6, he puts it this way, by baptism you have been united with Christ in his death and resurrection. That is a resurrection to a new life. So what this means is that Every covenant child who is baptized is in principle already a new person. Scripture is very clear on this. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3 verse 3. And that is how our triune God claims us and takes us as his own. And he makes us his responsibility. He takes responsibility for us. And all these rich blessings and promises become ours. But then we have to add one important thing. When the triune God adopts us for his own, he also lays claim to our lives. He expects that he can count on our love. You see, the covenant that he establishes us with us and our children is a two-sided covenant. It is one-sided in its initiative. God takes the initiative, as he did with Adam, as he did with Abraham and and David. God comes first and takes the initiative. So the covenant is one-sided in its origin, but it's two-sided in its existence. There is a promise and an obligation. And when God obligates himself to his promises, he also obligates us. We receive obligations. And that's our second point. How am I to respond to my baptism? As I mentioned already, in our baptism, the Lord lays claim to our lives. We must be ready to serve him and live for him and obey him. King Jesus has bought us with his precious blood. That means he is our Lord. We belong to him, body and soul. And so we must be ready to submit to him. And this is where the last part of of answer 70 comes into play again. We confess that we are sanctified by the spirit of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. This, This phrase, more and more, indicates there must be growth in holy living. Of course, we realize that nobody is perfect. None of us are perfect, and we will not be perfect until we live with Christ forever. And this phrase in our confession then also implies a participation on our part in this growth. The form for baptism refers to our participation in this way. Through baptism, we are called and obliged 
to a new obedience, to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust him and to love him with our whole heart, soul, and mind. So where does that obligation come from? Well, that comes from the fact that we have been given this gift of new life. It's not, an obligation is not a contrast to love. It doesn't stand in conflict with receiving a gift. We've received the gift of life, a sanctified life. But we are not yet completely sanctified, and we are not yet completely free from sin. And so the new life that we have received has to be developed. It has to flourish. It has to produce fruit. And God includes us in that process. Let me illustrate it this way. It's similar, in, similar to the way in God cares for our well-being. Right? The Lord gives us life and breath and health and strength, yet we have to eat and we have to take care of our body and we have to go to work in order to enjoy the blessings of life. Well, in a similar way, God involves us in our spiritual life. We have to work out what God works in us, as Paul writes in Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do. So God gives us salvation, but he wants you to work with the benefits of that salvation, the benefits of that gift. He wants you to be engaged with it. He doesn't expect us to be spiritual zombies, so to speak, but to be active citizens in the kingdom of heaven. He expects us to be soldiers in his army. Scripture tells us about that in several places. In Romans 6, Paul says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And Peter writes, the Apostle Peter, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So it's clear from Scripture we are called to make every effort to die to sin and to live to Christ. And again, therein lies the great quandary of the Christian life, right? Who can do that? We find it so difficult to make every effort. In fact, our efforts are very small. We confess elsewhere in the catechism, we have but a small beginning of obedience. And it would be easy to become despondent, wouldn't it? To become dejected if we focus only on our sins, then that's what would happen. But again, I would remind you of what, we conf- what the form for baptism says, what, what we actually confess there. If we sometimes through weakness fall into sins, we must not despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin. For baptism is a seal and trustworthy testimony that we have an eternal covenant with God and these words are not meant to soothe the conscience of a sinner but these words are meant to awaken gratitude in the heart of a believer and these words can only be be confessed 
by someone who, who hates his own sin, by someone who finds no satisfaction in sin. These are the words of someone who can echo what John writes in his first letter. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And yes, we often fall into sin. And sin can seem so powerful in our lives and our faith can be so weak. And we know that tomorrow we have to battle again until Christ returns or he calls us home. But then we have to remind ourselves of our baptism, the promises contained in our baptism. A life of holiness, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, a life of holiness begins by cherishing your baptism. Cherish those promises. You have received the water of baptism. There were many witnesses to that. They can all tell you that you were actually baptized. And God's promises are attached to that water. It's not the water that makes the difference. But God's promises are attached to that water. And if you have received the water of baptism, then you have every reason to trust in the grace and power of God who has called you to be his child. And then you can also, in your prayers, remind him of that. When you have been baptized, you can plead with God on the basis of the promises that he gave you. You can ask him to keep his word. He has promised to protect you. The Father has promised to protect you. The Son promises to wash away your sins. The Holy Spirit promises to unite you to Christ and to dwell in you. And when you pray, you may say, Lord God, you have made those promises. You have obligated yourself to keep those promises. Keep them for Christ's sake for me. Amen.